What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hungry for Success podcast. On this very special episode, I got to talk to Dr. Nick, aka the fittest doc, who is a board certified physician, martial artist, and CrossFit athlete. During the interview, we talked about how lifestyle changes can have a massive impact on your health, how physicians may or may not address weight concerns with their patients, CrossFit, and much, much more. I think you guys will really like this episode. There's a lot of good quality information um, that Dr. Nick gives. If you want more info from Dr. Nick, check him out on Instagram at thefittestdoc and online at steadymd. All right, guys, that's enough of me. Here is Dr. Nick. Dr. Nick, how you doing, man? I am well, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, very glad to have you on the podcast. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you giving me the, uh, the opportunity to just have a conversation with you and kick back and see where it takes us. Yeah, absolutely. So I recently started um, following you on Instagram. And for anyone who um, doesn't, uh, you might be the most jagged doctor I've ever met. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, man, I, I, um, I don't compete like, you know, in a, like bodybuilding or anything. Right. Um, uh, I just kind of, um, I just kind of just, just do the standard CrossFit. I've been doing it now since actually med school. So I believe I started, can't remember either in 2010 or 2011. So I've been doing it now for 11 years prior to that, you know, I, I didn't do any bodybuilding other than, um, I went to the, my local YMCA, uh, with, with my, with my dad, uh, Totally, totally. I, I, I'm going to go out the rails sometimes, Mike, Michael. So, so rail me, rail me back in, um, or or wrote me back in rather, if you need to, but my my dad actually growing up, um, I hated going to the gym, man. It was, it's just kind of funny to think about where I am now. I was always that kid in high school who was playing video games, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you know, on, on his computer, just, did he, did he never want to go to the gym? And my dad had to be like, yo, stop, stop gaming. Like, come with me. We're going to the YMCA. And I resisted and resisted. And, you know, I started to see some changes like, like everyone else with just some simple, I didn't know what the hell I was doing in, in high school. I was, I was reading men's health magazines, man. That's where I was getting my information, a hundred percent of my information. So, um, started to see some changes and, uh, I, um, I actually have a video back from, 2009 or 2010 um at just shortly after i saw somebody it was a chinese woman on the news um it was during the olympic olympic season um and uh, there was a chinese woman lifting for china she was doing olympic weightlifting so she was doing a snatch she must have been snatched this little five foot two <laughs> chinese woman snatching like 200 pounds i saw that yeah. and i was like I was like, what if I literally, my question was, what the hell am I doing in here in the gym with like bicep curls, you know, and like <laughs> just simple monostructural movement. So that's pretty much what got me to convert to, um, that's what got me to convert to giving Olympic weightlifting a try and kind of the, 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 uh, mechanism for that, the, the mode of transport, so to speak was CrossFit that kind of introduced me to, um, to Olympic weightlifting and, you know, I've, I've loved everything since, right. I've loved the Olympic weightlifting, the gymnastics, the, 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 the strength, the, the endurance aspect of CrossFit. And, and I've been doing it since. So, you know, I think that, um, I, I just like that. I, I definitely, I feel that from what my patients have told me, I seem to give hope to people who don't necessarily aspire to be competitive. I'm not over here thinking, 
or believing I'm going to reach the CrossFit Games anytime soon. But, um, you know, I definitely think that um, fitness should be a component of everybody's life. Yeah, that, so that's one thing that I thought was really cool about you is that um, you do – seem to like live in as an example of fitness um and can be like an example to uh your patients yeah no absolutely um uh I, you know I'm, I'm grateful that i have a lot of patients who seem to find me through the internet um and uh and you know they come to me with this with this idea that hey listen you seem to be the type of doctor who would know enough to be able to guide me towards the path of optimization. I actually just saw a doctor last week. She was a radiologist. And, you know, I asked her, as I do with all my new patients, you know, why me? Why did you come to, why did you find this, this, this mode of kind of, um, you know, doctor patient relationship? And then why did you choose me? And she said that um, one thing that she hates about going to see a doctor in the office and that type of relationship is that she, even as a doctor herself, she was like, this is not the way to optimize somebody's health. I mean, the, the most you have with a doctor in the office is five to 10 minutes. And she was like, Hey, if I want to, if I want to optimize my sleep, I want to do better while I sleep. I want to reduce my stress. I want to, you know, do everything I can in my life to reduce my body inflammation so that I don't have to be on medications or I reduce the risk for so many diseases. Um, uh, if, if I want to, she was like, if I just want to optimize my health overall, I can't do that in a five or 10 or 15 minute appointment with a doctor. I need a, I need a doctor who the very first appointment, you know, um, they give me enough time to talk and enough time for me to, you know, form a relationship with them and tell them about me and hopefully learn some things about them. And then I need a, you know, relationship going forward from that point where I can reach out to my doctor whenever I want. And there's, there's kind of a, a just kind of a much closer communication between us. And, you know, I'll tell you what, Michael, I heard her say all this and I thought to myself, wow, if another doctor, granted, she's a radiologist, so she stares at screens all day long and, you know, reads, reads MRIs and x-rays and CTs, but still, she's a, she's a doctor. And if another doctor understands how screwed up this country is from a, from a medical standpoint, from the relationships that doctors have with their patients in the office and just kind of a quick five, 10 minute visit and trying to tackle so many things that, that essentially no, no doctor can truly um, succeed at tackling a multitude of different uh, issues um, when it comes to optimizing their patient's health in five or 10 minutes. So, um, you know, one, one of the things that she brought up was, was kind of lifting weights and, and trying to do things um, from an exercise standpoint that are optimal. So uh, she did say that she wanted, she chose me for that, for that reason, uh, because I seem to be um, uh, a doctor who, um, kind of live the lifestyle, like you just said, as opposed to just kind of talking about it. Because, you know, one thing I thankfully have never had this experience. I hope I never do. But I've, I've definitely been told by many patients that they go to see their doctor and their doctor tells them, hey, listen, you your BMI is such and such. You are morbidly obese. You need to lose weight. And that's it. That's it. That There's nothing yeah. else. And, and even worse, you have a doctor who's sitting here and almost seemingly judging you without understanding where you're coming from. And worst of all, the worst kind of transgression of all is they can't offer, they, they can't make a plan 
with you. They can't uh, um, uh, sit you down and actually walk you step by step what you need to do um, and then give you in the future, give you reinforcement of things that you're doing right and, and kind of a slap on the wrist of things that you're doing wrong and try to slowly but surely help you. Like these doctors can't, can't do that because they simply don't have the time. And, and um, you know, worse yet, I have some patients who are like, oh, you know, my obese doctor is trying to tell me to lose weight. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, that's a little backwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 I just don't, I, so, so you either have, you know, physicians who are trying to do right by their patient. And even though they're obese, they're trying to tell their patient to lose weight or worse yet, Michael, a lot of people don't necessarily realize that there are many physicians who are out of shape themselves, who simply because they are self-aware to know Oh, if I bring this up with my patient, they're going to look at me and think I'm a hypocrite. They're aware of this in the back of their mind. So they simply won't bring up. There are multiple things that they know are things that you can do to improve your health, to optimize yourself. And because they know that they're not in that position and they don't want you to see them as a hypocrite, they would simply not rather bring it up in the first place. So I think either of those two issues, uh, I'm sorry, either of those two choices, that those, those are bad choices. Those are not optimal choices. So um, you know, I, I definitely try to, and will continue to try in the future to, to be a, a physician who kind of lives the life that I preach. I think back to my own journey. And so like a lot of people who listen to the show are on some type of, of weight loss journey. And a lot of them, including me, like basically my story is that I was 350 pounds essentially. And I went to a doctor and, uh, just for like, uh, because I had sleep apnea and she, you know, she had a very frank conversation with me. She was like, you're, you know, you're 23, 24 years old. You got sleep apnea, you got high blood pressure. Uh, your sugar is like through the roof, all this kind of stuff. And she just like laid it out on the table for me and just told me like, if you don't change this, like don't expect to have like a long, healthy life. Like that's not what is in the cards if you don't. And, but then I think about this, like I didn't get up to 350 pounds and like not see a doctor at any, you know, like I saw doctors throughout that point and she was the only person that ever said anything to me, you know, and that kind of looking back on it, when I was thinking about this interview, that really surprised me that, you know, out of all the healthcare professionals I saw up to that point, none of them told me like, Hey, you should probably lose some weight. So let me give you another perspective on that, Michael. I, I do agree with you. I, do I think that all of the all of the physicians who you had seen up to that point should have given you that advice? Yes, but you have to consider the fact that we're always walking on eggshells about this because as opposed to something like blood pressure, let's say you have high blood pressure. High blood pressure is not something that I can tell you and think in the back of my mind, uh, is Michael going to have an emotional reaction to this? Is this gonna potentially be awkward? Is this gonna, is this gonna turn into you know, is, is, is Michael's reaction to this basically going to make me regret telling him, um, that won't happen with high blood pressure, unfortunately. And, and I empathize with overweight and obese people, uh, um, uh, because of this, but unfortunately in our screwed up society as it is, you know, you have so many people, um, unfairly judging people who are overweight and obese and chastising them and making fun of them, whether on TV with TV shows or movies or pop culture or, or your friends. Um, so essentially it, it becomes this thing of shame for so many people. And 
Trust me when I tell you doctors are acutely aware of this, right? So, so, you know, sometimes I will, I, even to this day, I, let's put it this way, Michael, I have patients who are very, very big and very, very overweight and how I broach this subject, because essentially I cannot sit here and try to tell somebody that something is valuable just because I think it's valuable. Um, so, so when I have a very overweight patient, I will kind of confirm their, oh, hey, this is how tall you are. Uh, what is your most recent weight? They'll tell me their most recent weight. And then I will follow it up with, how do you feel about that? Right? So that is a very non-judgmental statement. That's not yeah. positive, that's not negative. And essentially from that answer, Michael, or from, from their answer to that question, Michael, I can very easily determine is, is the person in a place where they want to address this? Are they in a place mentally, physically, spiritually that they want to address this, that they realize? Because you're very right. Objectively, is that weight, especially if it's excessive weight, is it hurting them in one mechanism or another? Absolutely. That's objective. You can't argue that. However, just because that's the case doesn't mean that every patient wants to address it. And, and listening to their answer to, to my question helps me determine how to broach the subject, right? If it's something that it's very clear to me that they know that they're big and they have no inclination, no motivation at all to change, I am not going to, I will, I'll, I'll continue on during, uh, uh, kind of doing the rest of the history and ask them other questions and just kind of go away from weight completely. Um, and, and if it is something that they are saying, hey, Dr. Nick, you know, I, I like your approach to this. I, I, would, I would love to work with you to, um, to lose weight myself. Then I'll, that's a whole nother path entirely. And, and we'll talk about that and kind of, you know, my main goal when I talk to them about that is to let them know that I'm not anyone from their, I, I understand they may have had a hard pass as it relates to their weight, but I'm not somebody who's going to sit here and judge them. I am their physician. I want the, I don't care if we're talking blood pressure, rheumatoid arthritis, sleep optimization, or weight control. I, I want them to be in the best place from a health standpoint. So I am going to design a program for them. I'm going to help them with that program. We're going to check in often whenever they come across any issues, I'm going to troubleshoot the issue for them. And I'm going to figure out what, what, what the problem is and get them to a more ideal uh, spot. I think, uh, you know, at this point I've, I've helped, um, so I, I work Michael for a company called steady MD. So I, I have a lot of time with my patients, um, uh, you know, one hour during the first appointment, and then I can see them and touch base with as many uh, follow-up appointments um, as they want for for one one low cost um, per month. But um, one thing that that has afforded me is, like I said, right, um, that I um, can help people manage their weight over the long term. The longest term patient I've had so far helping her manage her weight was a 62 year old um, in North Dakota um, who started with me March of last year at 416 pounds. Um, as I alluded to earlier, every single week, um, my patients touch in touch base with me on this specific issue. Let's say if we're doing blood pressure, or, or, or osteoarthritis or sleep or, um, you know, any other issue, obviously they can touch base with me either more frequently or less frequently, but specifically when it comes to weight management, I like every single week because it allows them to come to me if they have any problems or if they want to, um, uh, celebrate wins. So she started with me at 416 pounds. And now a year later, as of last Sunday, when she checked in with me, she was 299 pounds. Wow. So 
So, you know, yeah, yeah. She, but uh, you know, I, I think what's most important and what I hope this story illustrates and what I think it has illustrated to me is that you cannot push someone to do something they don't want to do. If, if, if she was not in a place when she met me, March of 2020, if she was not in a place where she was at rock bottom, so to speak, and really ready to address this and willing to, to take a doctor guided approach and, and, and listen to me and, and, and kind of check in with me. And if she was not at that place, nothing I can say, it doesn't work to try to shame somebody or to, to try to insult them into trying to lose weight. That, that doesn't work, right? I can't sit here and tell her, oh, you know, you're, you're going to die of this or that or that. I, I simply have to be patient and, and wait for somebody to come to me and say, okay, Dr. Nick, you know, I, I'm ready to address this. So I would contend, Michael, from all the physicians who you state did not help you, or, or I'm sorry, did not bring it up. I, I, I really think that, you know, either A, most doctors are scared to bring it up because like I said, they don't want to be hypocrites or, or B, some doctors are very good at kind of reading the situation and can tell that, okay, Michael's not in a place where he wants to address this. Um, and given that it, it probably is not a good idea to, to try to shame him. I mean, no, no doctor should be trying to shame you. That, that should not be the role of, of a physician. We should be supportive and give guidance, not try to shame people, you know? Yeah. And that's super interesting to hear your perspective on that because, you know, like as someone who's not a physician, I like, I wouldn't have thought about it in that way, but it's a good point. But also, so I was looking at the steady MD and I, I was kind of going on there and researching just like what that is and like the whole concept. And I do think that is, um, that's a really cool outside the box kind of thinking, uh, approach to healthcare. And so have you, um, enjoyed that so far? Yes, yes, I definitely have. Because, um, you know, the physicians I was talking to you about earlier, Michael, I was one one of those same doctors, right, where I was unfortunately having to see a new patient every 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you know, and just for just for the people who are listening to this and wonder why their doctors seem to rush them from the moment they step into the room and why they don't ever have a lot of time with their with their doctors, I can absolutely assure you it is not your doctor's fault. You know, unfortunately, in healthcare, um, we have now entered a, a, a kind of period of healthcare where there's a overarching administrative dominance. Um, and, and what that means is that there are literally people who kind of count count the pennies, right? So to speak, there are administrators above us, literally above the doctors in the healthcare um, hierarchy who are making us, telling us, hey, you need to see four or five patients an hour because they understand, the administrators understand that, hey, if we can make it through a day and see 20 or 25 patients we are bringing in so much money to the hospital system or so much money into the clinic. So essentially what these administrators are doing, either, either unbeknownst to them or, or maybe they are aware of it, but what they're doing is, is unfortunately relegating the amount of time for, for patient care down to the minimal level, right? 10 minutes is not, 15 minutes is not enough time. It simply isn't, right? Especially when you consider that with something like healthcare, I'm asking you the, the most deep seated um, kind of bits of yourself, right? For example, just a quick, uh, quick example. I have a lot of patients with, with herpes, right? With either genital or, or, or oral herpes. And I, I prescribe them prophylactic um, or, um, 
or, or uh, uh, episodic medicine and, you know, what place do you have to be? Think about it. What place do you have to be to be able to tell your doctor, oh, I have herpes, right? And that, that's essentially a place where hopefully you are, you feel that the doctor has your best interests at heart um, and, and, you know, that, that they truly want what's best for you. And I personally don't think that in a five or 10 or 15 minute appointment, especially when you're covering so many other things, that that's enough time to actually establish a a, a, a strong enough relationship with your doctor that you feel comfortable telling them everything you feel comfortable opening up about your weight you feel comfortable opening it up about your family history maybe you have a um, a disorder or disease in your family history that is very much terrifying you and you want to know what you can do to minimize your risk of coming up against the same thing that your father battled or your mother battled or or someone else in your family so you know um a lot of people underestimate how um, how close your doctor has to be able to get to you, how, um, how, how comfortable that they have to be able to make you feel around them. And in my opinion, time is absolutely uh, part of that. So kind of to answer your question, that's, that's the biggest difference that I've noticed so far with SteadyMD um, that I very much appreciate. The other difference that I've noticed is that when people have chronic issues, um, as opposed to thinking, you know, when you go see a, a doctor in the office, you, you think to yourself, oh, hey, what's the copay? I'm going to see my doctor for a follow-up visit. What's the copay? What's the copay? So you have these patients who, because they're afraid of, or, or rather they're not afraid, but they're aware rather of uh, kind of this, this um, specter of uh, a persistent copay that they're going to have to pay every time they see their doctor, they're less likely to stay on top of something that they should be staying on top of. Um, you know, let's say they have hypothyroidism, they have, uh, you know, they have Hashimoto's disease and they, they need their medication. Um, and, you know, they don't want to come into their doctor because you, their doctor is going to ask them certain questions and going to feel their thyroid and going to order a TSH with reflex and, and all these things instead of, you know, being um, apt to go into the doctor and get checked up for something that they need chronic management of, they are just much more likely to say, eh, I'm just not going to go to the doctor because I don't want to pay the copay. And with steady and B, there's none of that. There's no copay. So um, yeah, definitely. I, I, I very much appreciate being able to form stronger connections with my patients and through that connection, being able to better their health over the long term, get them off medications that in reality, they don't need to be on if they had a doctor who could adequately manage their lifestyle or, or adequately advise them on their lifestyle, get them to change things um, here, here's a good story to that. And I have a, a patient on SEBI-MB. She's uh, 27 years old who just last week um, messaged me emphatically thanking me that I helped correct her sleep and that she hasn't had an episode of insomnia in four or five days. She had suffered insomnia all her life. Um, but because of the things that we did, none of them medication-based, none of them pill-based, you know, she was able to sleep for, for the, the first four or five days in her life that she hasn't had insomnia. Um, you know, while unfortunately, most other doctors who are in the clinic simply wouldn't have the time necessary to sit down and talk to her and find out what are her lifestyle choices as it surrounds sleep, and then give potential 
suggestions on those lifestyle choices such that she would not require an Ambien or a Lunesta or a Xanax or any other type of medication that people use for sleep. So, uh, you know, I do think that um, the, the, the work that I'm able to do at SteadyMB in terms of getting people truly healthy and truly uh, better um, without just loading them up on medications is, is second to none from what I've seen. Yeah. I never, um, you know, had a, had a physician to the point where like, it's awesome the time that you have in the relationship that you can build because it does give you an opportunity to help with those like, uh, long-term lifestyle changes. Like Mm -hmm. looking back, it would, it would have been awesome if I had someone, a professional to check in with weekly while I'm trying to lose 120 pounds and making sure that I'm doing a lot of the things right. Because I see on, on these Facebook groups and different things that I'm in of people trying to lose weight, they're like, I'm eating seven, 800 calories a day and I can't lose weight. And they're just doing all, all kinds of crash diets and all sorts of ridiculous things. And they, they don't have any kind of guidance because they're following whatever they can find on the internet. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It's, I see that all the time. It's very, it's very frustrating, but, um, you know, and, and that's just on the surface, right? But you're, you're going to have things below the surface from an electrolyte standpoint, from a thyroid standpoint, from, uh, from a hormonal standpoint that are affected when people make choices like that, that, I mean, you know, let's give them credit, Michael. I'm sure when, when they're doing these things, I'm positive they, they don't have in the back of their mind, oh, I'm doing the most unhealthy thing right now. They no, simply not. Yeah, they simply don't know. So I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that when you have someone in your corner who's who's a doctor who can order labs on you, who can monitor you, especially over such a time when you're losing such a considerable amount of weight, um, it, it can be very, very helpful. Yeah, and so actually I got one listener question that really uh, kind of goes right along with what we're talking about of making um, lifestyle choices or lifestyle changes and maybe not like uh, just like quickly to prescribe medicine or being able to get off of medicine with lifestyle changes. And so one of the listeners said that um, they're working on a PhD program and focused on community research, specifically with people with type two diabetes and saying, you know, they, they basically get discouraged with the like, um, the more of like the prescribe and not prevent or prescribe and not like change lifestyle, um, kind of things and like how to keep that, um, mentality of, of pushing the, the lifestyle without, uh, you know, overburdening people. Yeah. You know, specifically as it pertains to diabetes, um, you know, I'm sure your listener knows about the the value of hemoglobin A1C and, and I think it's very valuable, um, for kind of using, uh, in a way, such that your patients know where they are along the spectrum. So, um, you know, when, when patients have a hemoglobin A1C higher than 5.7 and lower than 6.4%, I will very often tell them, Hey, listen, you were pre-diabetes, you know, you are, you are going to become a diabetic if you continue down the route that, that you're on right now. However, there's good news here. The good news is that this is not set in stone, right? You can absolutely reverse this. You can become, you can completely fall off the pre-diabetic um, scale and not even become diabetic and go back into the normal hemoglobin A1C range if we change, you know, this, this, and this. So, you know, usually the first medication that we put somebody on when they are um, even even pre-diabetic is uh, metformin. 
Um, so I, I personally don't have, I'm not averse to prescribing metformin for a patient who, you know, it, it's starting to become clear that they are very uh, uh, insulin or, or either slightly or very insulin resistant, but I am completely against prescribing them that medication and not telling them anything else, you know, in life, not telling them to focus, for example, sleep. It is, it is well known. I mean, I'm, I'm sure many doctors, myself, I, I know this for sure, but I'm sure many other doctors do also that people who consistently get poor sleep four to five hours a night, um, they have uh, sugar dysregulation. Their, their, their blood glucose can quite literally be dysregulated quite secondary to that. So much so that if the lack of sleep is persistent enough, they can become pre-diabetic or even, or even potentially kind of start to tip into the, the diabetic uh, area with that. So, you know, I do think that it's very important to talk to people about lifestyle things when it comes to diabetes or, or pre-diabetes. And just, you know, as a doctor, there, there are things that kind of, um, there are disorders and diseases that I know in the back of my head, so some of them, that I'm like, nothing lifestyle changes will fix this. Um, unfortunately, it needs to be treated with medicines. It needs to be treated on a pharmacological level. There are other things that, um, that I'm aware of that uh, can be treated with both. Um, so, you know, I like to basically just kind of like we talked about earlier, I like to leave the ball in the patient's court, um, essentially share with them everything that I know um, in terms of the risks of going down the current path and then tell them, hey, this is not hopeless. You know, you do have a way out. This is the way out. I can obviously help you with this. But the thing that I can't do is I cannot create the motivation. I can't create the desire. You either have that or you don't. If you do have that, I can help you kind of down this path to get you to a better, a better place. So uh, actually kind of that rolled right into another question that I had from a listener. And so I completely agree with you that the person has to be in the right place uh, to want to make those changes. But, you know, one of the listeners asked basically, do you have any recommendations for, uh, you know, like getting your, your family members or kids uh, who, you know, might be overweight or might be struggling with weight and get them more influence them to follow a more active lifestyle? Oh, that's a good question. I think that, um, you know, if, if they're kids, I hell would like the, like the, like the anecdote, like the story I just brought up, you got to do what my dad did. Right. Just sometimes lay down the line, force, <laughs> force him to go to the gym with you sometimes. Yeah. Right. But if you don't, they're a family member. Otherwise uh, I think it's, it's clear um, or I've made it clear so far that I definitely don't believe in trying to shame anybody. Um, yeah, but, but, but there is a difference in being able to, to sit down with somebody and tell them, Hey, listen, you know, you're my brother or, you know, you're my, you're my grandfather and, and I, I love you and I want you on this planet as long as possible. And not only that, I want you to have um, a good quality of life for all the years that you're on this planet. And, you know, with that being said, um, I have found some, potential resources for, for you, for example, pointing them in the direction of a, of a doctor like me. Um, uh, and essentially, just like I said, you can't force them. You can't, you, you can point them in the direction. You can give them suggestions. You can't force them, but you can absolutely let them know how you feel, let them know what they mean to you, um, provide them resources, potential guidance, um, maybe education. If they, if they need to know why, 
they're in such a dire and bad place, then provide them education. And then kind of the ball's in their court at, at that point. And if they want to do something about it, um, given that you just poured your heart out to them, then they'll do something about it. And if not, you know, they won't. Yeah. And I think another thing that maybe I can even add to that is that, you know, I think there's an old saying that more is caught than taught. And so one thing is that I think that you can just be a good example in yourself, you know, like live a good, healthy, active lifestyle. Like, I mean, you know, do whatever you want to do, but it's keeping it like, uh, you know, not going extreme off the rails with crazy diets and all that kind of stuff and just showing them that, you know, this is a lifestyle that you can live. I mean, I know, I know for me, like both of my parents have, have lost weight, you know, and, and they tell me how proud they are of me and it makes it makes them want to get in the gym and do things more. And so, uh, I know just anecdotally for me, that has been, you know, another way to help encourage people. Sure. Absolutely. I agree. I think, I think, I think the example you just brought up, Michael, is even more powerful than any example that I could give, right? Because your parents knew you obviously before you lost weight, right? Mm -hmm. So they saw, so instead of kind of having, because I'm definitely noticed with some people that they seem to have this, this idea, this thought that people who are in the places that they wished they would be just magically got there. Just, just, just kind of were born into that, right? Um, and and that couldn't be further from the truth. But you know, it's it's kind of like that. Um, it's kind of like that quote, right? Instagram is is a highlight reel, right? It doesn't necessarily show how someone got to where where they are. So I think with the like I said, the anecdote you just brought up, and uh, the fact that your parents saw your progression, right? They they saw you at a more healthy time of your life, and they see where you're at now. That's very powerful. Um, but yes, you know, regardless, I do think that being a good role model in any regard, even if somebody just came into your life and they see you and you're someone that they aspire to be, um, that that's still a that's still a, a strong incentive. Um, as long as you can communicate with that person, whoever it is that you want, you you want to help them get better. As long as you can communicate with them that you're nobody special. Right. Because that's the thing. Everybody likes to assume that, oh, this person who is where I want to be, they're somehow special. They have the motivation I have or the drive that I have or they have this or they have that or they have the money, like whatever. It it can be any multitude of, of excuses. So you have to be able to communicate to the person who you want to help that. I am not special, right? That that there's nothing about me that you cannot copy. There's nothing that I did that you cannot copy. You can put yourself in the same position that that I am. And you know, the only thing that's stopping you really is kind of the the content between your your ears and and your beliefs therein. Yeah, and that couldn't be more true. I mean, like when I started this journey, it took me five years to get to where I'm at now. I wow. started as uh, you know, I was completely broke, basically laying on a couch, 350 pounds. And, you know, here I uh, am today. Like, I mean, I'm not nearly to where I want to be, but I've, it's literally nothing special, but hard work and consistency over and over and over again. So right. it, it definitely can be done if you're willing to do those things. Wow. That your story, to be honest, Michael, sounds like another friend I have, um, John Glog. Do, do you know who that is? Uh, yeah. Obesity. Absolutely. Yeah, maybe I should reach out to him and get you guys um, to talk to each other. He he has another um, he has a podcast called Work for the Work for Change podcast, and yep. yeah, his I mean, you guys sound like you and have a lot of similar experiences. But um, yeah, you know, I, I 
I, I just think it's amazing that people can be in the situations that you are in, the situation that John is in, and kind of consistently, because I don't doubt that anyone can put in the work. But from my experience, Michael, what it is, is that people put in the work, but they're not consistent with it, right? You just said, you just said literally the, 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 the magic sauce, so to speak, the magic sauce is time. You said five years. So you were just consistent. I'm sure you weren't consistently awesome every single day. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some days you had your low points, but overall, right. You were on the right track over the five years and that got you to where you are today. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the, the kind of the secret sauce. I don't care who we're talking about, whether it's me or you or John, I mean, what did I tell you starting off this thing, right? I've been doing CrossFit for 11 years. I'm not, I didn't just magically, you know, start CrossFit and have a 500 pound back squat and almost a 600 pound deadlift. Like, no, I, I worked my butt off for that consistently over 11 years and I'm not done. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that's the, the missing piece that a lot of people for whatever reason overlook, um, and just don't want to, don't want to keep in mind that time you, you need to, there needs to be time under tension. You know, that's the, you can't avoid that. Yeah. I, I see a lot of times the, you know, like the little infographic and it's like, uh, what you expect success to be. And it's like this like linear growth and the yeah. other one's like this big wiggly line, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's very true for like so many things, whether it's weight loss or lifting or mm -hmm. business or just mm -hmm. success in general, like it, it's never that like straight line that you think it's going to be. There's so many ups and downs. There might, like I've had down months, you know, where I've gained 10 pounds over this like five. it's not been you know i've been perfect on my diet for five years or anything it's been all over the place um but i just you know I, somehow and i can't even always really explain it you just keep coming back for more and then mm -hmm. and then it pays off in the end and you just see the the progression and it, it makes you uh it just makes you hungry for more absolutely so so michael just to clarify you said you started at 350 right Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I definitely want to, uh, you know, I want to kind of pick your brain here on, on a little bit of, of the weight loss stuff. So, or do you have like, um, any kind of just basic pointers that you, uh, or generalized pointers that you give someone who comes to you and says, you know, like, Hey, I, Dr. Nick, I am overweight. I don't know where to get started. Yeah, you know, um, so first of all, I think the biggest thing you can do um, is, is guidance, uh, because like my patient was 416 and it's 299 as of last Sunday, um, she has, if I could look into the computer and tell you how many times she's checked in with me over this last year, I mean, um, it, it's, it's one of those things that tell you that, you know, whether or not somebody gives you a plan or tells you what to do, um, it all goes back to what we just talked about. It all, all goes back to consistency. So kind of having somebody there to hold your hand, to answer any questions you may have, to provide support, motivation, and, and reinforcement is very helpful. Um, outside of that, you know, I try and tell people, you know, I, I believe that our food environments in this country and in the, in the United States of America is, is inherently toxic. Um, we, we live in an obesogenic society where, you know, you go down the middle aisles of, of uh, I don't know, Walmart, right? And you have, you know, Little Debbie double-decker oatmeal cream pies, and you have, you know, Snickers. All, all, you have this stuff that, don't get me wrong, I'm not over here telling you it's not delicious. It is delicious. But what I am telling you um, is that 
it, it's engineered to be delicious. I mean, there are literally yeah. food. Yeah, there are literally food scientists working at all these big corporations, tinkering with food, finding what's called the bliss point um, to essentially reel you back in every single time. Right. And, you know, when I learned that, I was like, this, that, this is incredibly disconcerting. I just, you know, it, it, it annoys me. It's, it's literally like there are scientists who they have no other job but to try to hijack your, your emotions as it relates to food and keep you coming back for more and more and more and more. And then obviously, you know, a couple years of that and you have yourself in a position that you never thought you'd be. So I think that, you know, one of the biggest things that you can encourage somebody to do that'll change their lot is to encourage them to stay away from processed foods um, and to encourage them to, to utilize whole foods more. Um, now that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to cook. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people either don't like to cook or don't have the time. There are meal delivery services, right? I can name a couple off the top of my head, trifecta nutrition factor, 75 mega fit meals. You know, these are all meal delivery services that send you, um, you know, organic, uh, whole foods, whole, whole food based meals that are not processed. Um, you know, essentially what you're really doing is punting the cooking to, to somebody else, but at least what you're eating isn't putting you in a place that um, kind of that'll have you regret it a couple of years in the future. You know, now with that being said, I don't want to sound like, um, like I'm over here being uh, unrealistic, right? Um, do I absolutely enjoy a, a, a Jimmy John sandwich or a, or a, a Chick-fil-A burger every so often? Absolutely. Literally just today, I saw a, a commercial for Di, uh, DiGiorno. Um, is that how you pronounce it? DiGiorno mm -hmm. pizzas? Yeah. Pretty sure. Anyway, yeah, I saw a commercial for DiGiorno pizzas on TV and uh, I was like, man, I really, I haven't, I was like, I literally thought in my head, it's been, yeah, it's been like three or four years since I had DiGiorno pizza. Maybe I need to buy one and like throw it in the oven, right? So I'm not over here saying you can't ever have that. I just think that people need to realize, people need to be very good about applying the 80-20 rule to their lives, right? Um, often, more often than not, in our society, most people eat, um, Okay, so let me back up here. So most people will tell you that they're not on any type of diet, right? That they don't do paleo or Whole30 or keto or blah, 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 blah. That they're a lot, they, hey, Dr. Nick, I'm not on any diet. But then um, as per my job, I will ask some more involved questions and come to find out that they are actually on a diet. They're on what most American what most American people are on. It's called a standard American diet. The standard American diet is high fat plus high carbs plus low protein. That's a standard American diet. So essentially, you know, when you shift from eating processed foods, which is a standard American diet, whether we're talking TV dinners or, or, or little Debbie, you know, oatmeal cream pies or, or whatever, um, you're shifting away from the standard American diet towards something more whole foods based automatically puts you in a place where you're magically getting more protein, you're getting more fiber, you're not eating as high fat, you're not eating as high carbs. Um, and slowly but surely, with consistency, once again, that magic word comes up slowly, but surely with consistency, you start to see your body composition change um, in terms of either retaining muscle mass or growing muscle mass and losing fat mass. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's the single biggest thing I can tell people is to realize that processed food is, is processed for a reason. And the reason why it's processed is to keep you coming back to that same food maker and that same product over and over and over. Um, because it's in their best interest. I mean, it is it, whoever the food maker is, it is in their best interest for you to keep paying for their product. I mean, this is ultimately, it comes down to a business for them. So, um, like I said, right, I'm not perfect. I don't eat hundred percent clean, hundred percent whole foods, but I damn well, um, uh, abide and, and live by the 80, 20 principle. Right. And in, in reality, I think I'm probably even more like 90, 10, but I think for most people aiming for 80, 20, where 80% of the foods that you eat are whole foods. And then 20% of the time you can slack off and have some ice cream or have some candy or whatever. I think that that's a pretty, uh, pretty advantageous spot to be in. These, uh, flavor scientists working for the cereal companies have got it down pat. I'm telling yeah. you, there's so many good cereals and it's, they're, they're so hard to avoid. I like, I can't buy them and bring them to the house. They're like, I got to crush the whole box. I, I can't, exactly. I, there's no moderation. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm saying. They know exactly what they're doing. It's, 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 it's terrifying to me, Michael. I'm literally in the same position where you are, where if I ever want a break and I'm having a craving for something that I shouldn't be having a craving for, I never buy enough of it to keep it at home. Never. I, in fact, here's a funny story. Oh man, I can't believe I'm going to admit this, but whatever. <laughs> I don't, like we got have to be honest. Right. So last Thursday I got my second COVID vaccine. I mean, as a, as a physician, obviously we were, um, we were kind of fast tracked to COVID vaccine. So I got my second one after the first one. I have no, no, uh, side effects i felt fine after the second one my lord that kick it just destroyed me i mean i had headache i had fatigue i had full body joint aches i had full body muscle pain um it's some other symptom i probably can't even remember now but for whatever reason i think because of the fatigue i was in bed all day long and i was craving just the most garbage of garbage right so maybe about 5 p.m in my head i'm like Oh, I'm hungry. I have food here at my place, but I did. I literally did not want to have to get off my bed, get up off of my bed to make food. So I ordered fifty dollars worth of Indian food. Right? That's not. <laughs> that's not. That's not the bad part, though. That's not the bad. The bad part is for whatever reason I'm craving. I'm craving sugar. I'm just craving candy, and I'm like thinking in my head, how do I do this? Because I'm, I'm not about to get in my car and drive to the store to go buy candy. I don't have the energy. I literally need to stay in bed all day. So I. Um, I found a, an app uh, on the iPhone called Instacart. Yeah. Where if you heard about this, where oh, you can yeah. have some shop for you, mm-hmm. dude, I literally had some random person bought me $40 worth of candy from gummy, <laughs> from gummy bears to Reese's to Snickers to all this candy. And it gets to me, um, they, they get to my place, like maybe eight or 9 PM. I already have the Indian food. So thankfully I'm pretty full, but I mean, you know, because of that, just the I, the weird side effects um, with, with a COVID uh, vaccine, I'm still having these cravings for sugar. So I ate candy that night, but it sure as hell wasn't forty dollars worth of candy that I I must have eaten like a uh, couple things, uh, uh, one or two bags of gummy bears, and then uh, like one thing uh, a payday bar. Um, anyway, here's the important part. The next day, I wake up. I'm magically healed. None of my symptoms are there anymore. No, no headache, no, uh, no, um, uh, uh, joint pain, no muscle pain. And I come out to my, to my dining room table and I see this bag, 
this this forty pound, or I'm sorry, this forty dollar bag of residual candy. I I literally at that moment, it's it's just super interesting how um, our our uh, craving system works in our brain because at that moment, I realized I'm like, sure, I could eat this candy, but I know that it would put me. Not only would it put me in a worse place from where I want to be, but I'm not craving it anymore. So I literally went out to the dumpster, threw it away immediately. Um, so I guess the reason why I'm saying that story is to say, listen, I'm not saying, and no doctor should be saying that you have to be perfect. Nobody has to be perfect, but you do have to make the right call when it comes to nutrition. You have to make the right call the majority of the time, whether that's 80% of the time and leave bad food to 20% of the time or 90% of the time, like, like, like me. And then 10% of the time you can let yourself you can let loose a little, um, you know, you have to keep the, the, that in mind. So the 80, 20, I'm sure many people have heard of that. That's called the, the Pareto principle. So I'm definitely a big, a big, a big fan of that. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, uh, it, hopefully that answers, you know, that question. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So one thing that I, uh, want to talk about definitely is uh crossfit because so i just started crossfit probably two months ago so i'm still i'm still new to the game and i I will be to be completely honest i like was a little nervous uh like starting crossfit because i was a little bit of a hater before i started Like I was what? always, I was always worried about getting hurt and like, so I, I've, I've been into lifting for a long time, but then, you know, like thinking about all the Olympic movements combined with like the metabolic conditioning, like just seemed like a lot to me. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I, I, I will say a hundred percent that I am like coming around to it more and more like at every class that I go to, I've been going like four days a week and it's, uh, I've really been enjoying it. Wow. Four days a week. That's that's pretty awesome, Michael. I feel like I wasn't at four days a week with CrossFit until like half half a year in, or like about a year in. Do you feel like your body are you are you constantly sore, or are you not sore after the? Four uh, days? I am like pretty sore. Just I feel like from the new movements, but uh, so before I started CrossFit, so I was lifting um, five days a week um, before that, mm-hmm. and then so yeah. I actually so I'll do uh, I do four days uh of crossfit in the morning and then after work it's usually three to four days of jujitsu uh like afterwards so i'm stacking them on top of each other so i do um i I do get a little beat up but i'm trying to manage it okay this is what i'm curious about so how do you know you're in a jujitsu so i i have a black belt in taekwondo i'm training in judo jujitsu and a krav maga so here's my question to you though do you feel that your crossfit has had any impact on your jujitsu so far Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just now um, to the point where like just the other day, I think it was Sunday I was training. And that was like one of the only days that I've trained only jujitsu and not CrossFit like earlier in the day. And I was like, I was like, man, my gas tank feels like it's unlimited. Like, I, you know, I I think I rolled probably 10 plus rounds straight without, you know, taking a rest round. And, and so that is definitely coming up. Yeah. Yeah, that's why a lot of people in the UFC use CrossFit. In fact, getting into um, CrossFit, Michael, I got in. So I, I used to train at a place in Ohio called Ohio Krav Maga and Fitness. And the obviously the fitness portion of it was CrossFit. But yeah, I, I was training there Krav Maga for like two or three months. And the guys, I remember there's especially one guy's name. I remember Eric Holt. He uh, 
he saw me training anytime they were doing CrossFit. He saw me doing Krav and sparring and, you know, fighting and, you know, sparring, sparring is fun, man. I feel like martial arts is, are, are just a fun thing to do period. But he saw me rolling and, and kind of, you know, um, doing my Krav Maga thing. And he just persistently, this guy persisted, Hey man, you look like you'd be great at CrossFit. You got to give this a try. And I remember telling him, I was like, um, yeah, there's no way. I mean, I see you guys after the end of every class, you're staring up at the ceiling. You hate your life. Why would I want to do that? Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of those things where I, I definitely feel that they are symbiotic. Uh, uh, any martial art and CrossFit um, is uh, CrossFit is very helpful in, in that regard. So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad for you that you've gone into it and that you're enjoying it. Um, just keep in mind and, and, you know, I'm sure your listeners probably know this or, or some of them do, but, you know, CrossFit's a very long game thing just like we talked about earlier. It's all about consistency. Um, I, uh, I don't know if you're, um, I don't know if you're a, a gamer at all, uh, uh, Michael, or you used to be a gamer, but like I, I used to be a gamer myself. And I, I think of CrossFit as like, um, you know how like when you're building your character in any one of these games, like you you pick what you want to like max out and, and kind of let. So do you want like minimal skill and like maximum stamina and maximum endurance yeah. and maximum strength? Like I feel like CrossFit is literally the game of you're trying to max out everything over a, a function of time. Right. So, you know, I'm at the, I'm at a place thankfully now after 11 years where I'm very, very strong. And, um, kind of the thing that I'm trying to work on now is it's gymnastics. I feel like my gymnastics is not as good as it could be. My endurance is kind of medium. Um, I, that could definitely be improved too, but I feel like my, <clears throat> I feel like my gymnastics is, is mediocre. So, um, really, you know, when you get good at CrossFit and by good at CrossFit, I mean like somebody who's a CrossFit Games athlete, like let's say Matt Frazier, for example, that man, you could literally throw any gymnastics at him, any endurance at him, any strength at him, and he will, he will dominate. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, uh, that's what I would encourage anybody who gets into CrossFit to understand that, that CrossFit is the king of movements. And what I mean by that is there are so many movements in CrossFit, right? Um, uh, well, for example, what, what movement have you only recently just clicked with and gotten that you're excited about? <laughs> I got, I got my first handstand pushup today. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. but there's been a bunch of them, man. Like, I, I'm just, uh, learning like the kipping and, uh, you know, I'm working on my, my snatch. Like, luckily I, I did, you know, I kind of enjoy Olympic lifting. So I've always kind of done some of those things on my own without much coaching or guidance. So, uh, I was able to jump into those pretty quickly, but still like working on getting that technique, um, mm -hmm. dialed in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love about it, right? Because now you're getting your uh, probably kipping hands down push up or strict today. Uh, so I was actually able to do a strict before I could do the kipping, just because nice. you know I had the I had the like shoulder strength and the upper sure. body strength to do it. But um, so I, I did both today. Nice, nice, yeah. And you know, I think one thing you realize as you continue to do this, right, is that um, you know, obviously there are different forms of every movement, right? So you can do strict kipping hands down push up or or a I'm sorry, a strict handstand push-up or a kipping handstand push-up. And then with other movements, right? I could literally sit here and 
run you through three different types of burpees that I know in my head that I do at different times, right? If I want to go as fast as possible, there's a specific burpee I do. If my heart rate is like 180 and I don't want to stop moving, but I know my heart rate is super high, then there's another burpee I do, kind of the slower burpee, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so kind of as you get better and better across it, you start to realize that what you're really doing is collecting skills. You're, co- you're collecting, you're, you're basically learning different ways of doing movements um, that will benefit you more or less in, in specific situations. So, um, you know, yeah, that's what I, that, I think that's what keeps me coming back to it now for 11 years. You know, I've, I've enjoyed it. And, and I don't think it's anything there. There's a pretty famous crossfitter. I think his name's uh, Jacinto. Yeah, that's, that is his name. Jacinto Bonilla. He's like 73 or 74. You should look this guy up when you get a chance, you know, he's, 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 he proves to me that like, this is something you can do for the rest of your life. Sure. You may need to scale things. Sure. You may need to decrease the weight. Um, but it's something you can do for, for the rest of your life. Um, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I do caution is I seem to have a lot of patients who are like, Oh, Hey, Dr. Nick, this is what you do. So I should do this too. Right. And I tell them absolutely not right. That you, you shouldn't do something just because, you know, your doctor does it or somebody who you, who, you know, does it, um, instead what that person should motivate you to do is to find what you love, right? Yeah. Whether we're talking, whether you love yoga, whether you love Pilates, whether you love running, whether you love rucking, hiking, I don't care, figure it out. I, I'm a firm believer that everybody has something that they enjoy doing. Not everybody needs to, needs to like CrossFit, but I guarantee you that if you're willing to experiment and try out different uh, exercises and different kind of physical pursuits, you will find something, whether it's swimming or whether, I, I, I don't know, I don't know, but you're, you're going to, if you're open-minded, you're going to find something that kind of lights your heart on fire and you're going to want to keep coming back over and over. Um, and kind of that will get you the results that you want. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I, I think that being active, not, not, not necessarily Michael from a weight loss standpoint. I'm actually a firm believer. I tell my patients this, that I, I'm not a firm believer that, that exercise causes weight loss. I, I don't, I don't think that I think that exercise should be used for the multitude of other um, benefits that, that it has from sleep to mood, to appetite control, to cognitive effects um, I think that, you know, when people want to use it for weight control, then they start to put themselves in this mindset where they want to punish themselves. Like, oh, I ate a cookie today. I have to run on the treadmill for, you know, an hour to, to burn that off as a punishment. Like that should not be, that should not be the mindset that anyone should have. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that fat loss occurs in the kitchen and muscle gain occurs in the gym or kind of wherever you want to be physically active. That's where, that's where you gain muscle. Yeah. I'm completely of the same mindset. And oddly enough, you were talking about, you know, keeping an open mind and trying these things and finding what you love. And and that's kind of how I ended up in CrossFit because I've always loved lifting and, but I've been, you know, more so powerlifting, bodybuilding style lifting pretty much my entire, entire life. And, you know, my wife kind of challenged me to step outside my comfort zone and do CrossFit with her. And, you know, and that's how I got there. And I'm a hundred percent honest, like the more and more and do it, 
I do it, the more and more that I enjoy it. And whether I stay with CrossFit for years or not, either way, like I'm very happy about the experience and it's like open my eyes to other things that I should be doing and ways that I should be <laughs> testing myself. But like, I wouldn't have learned that lesson without kind of taking the chance and trying something uh, different, you know? For sure. For sure. Hell, you know, as, as well as I do, Michael, you know, um, uh, Greg Glassman, the, the old CEO of CrossFit and, and the founder, he always used to say, you know, you have to try new sports. And by that, he doesn't necessarily mean new sports, but you have to try new activities, right? Put yourself out there, see what you enjoy. So um, you probably know and have seen by now that a lot of people who start CrossFit will, will I, I know a lot of athletes who were former CrossFitters and now they only do Olympic weightlifting snatching and cleaner jerking or they only do powerlifting, right so so there are um you know uh you know crossfit is introducing people to things that they would not have tried before in the past and then hell if you enjoy that and like that more than crossfit then you know all all the all the best to you like stop doing crossfit and focus 100 on on that it's essentially it's best to do what lights your heart on fire because when you're doing what lights your heart on fire, you're going to consistently do it. You're going to, you're going to do what you enjoy. It's literally, this is not rocket science. You're going to continue to do in the future, what you enjoy doing. And if you can find what you enjoy doing, then absolutely junk, you know, throw everything else off to the side and, and, and do that. So, well, so I got just a couple more questions for you, both kind of pertaining to CrossFit and in the next one being, you know, if, if a lot of people that I talk to are, are, are not familiar with the gym, right? They're, they're complete newbies, essentially don't have like a history of it. Um, and like maybe you or I did. So do you suggest CrossFit for those people or, uh, like, is that a good place to start? Oh, so for those people, what I usually like to do is go back to their childhood. I, I ask them, hey, what, what kind of things did you enjoy doing when you were a kid, right? What kind of physical things, right? Usually they can give me an example, whether it's gymnastics or soccer or, you know, usually they can give me an example. And, um, and then I'll just ask them a very pointed question. Why can't you do that now? Whether you don't need to do it competitively, right? You can do it recreationally and still, still enjoy it. Um, the, the people who I suggest CrossFit to, Michael, um, number one, need to be open-minded to the extent where they're not like, hey, Dr. Nick, I specifically want to do this. If somebody tells me I specifically want to do this, for example, here's a good example. I, I have a patient um, who is a ninja warrior competitor. Um, she's 43. Wow. Yeah, she's 43. And she literally told me, she was like, yeah, Dr. Nick, you know, the reason why I'm coming to you is because I, I basically want to get myself as optimal as possible for Ninja Warrior. So, you know, we um, we tested all her labs. We we treated a couple of things that she needed treated. And the thing that I'm most proud about her for is um, just following my guidance over a couple of months, she lost 20 pounds. So now she sends me all these Ninja, she competes in Ninja Warrior. At 43 years old, she competes in Ninja Warrior across the country. And she sends me videos of her accomplishments. She most recently got second place um, at, at a local competition. Um, so for someone like her, who is very adamant, like, I want to get better at this, I'm not going to sit there and, and tell her to CrossFit. That's because she, she, her, her goal is not a, um, is not a, um, it's not a physical one, right? It's not a, a, I want my body to look like this. Her goal instead is a, uh, is, is a skill-based one where she wants to get better in Ninja Warrior. Now, if somebody 
comes to me, like I have another patient who, um, uh, he is 46 and he was telling me when he started that he wants to lose fat and put on muscle. So obviously I know what to do to help him lose fat, but that's not in the gym. That's it. That's in the kitchen. Um, but when it comes to putting on muscle, we talked about the ideal kind of the research backed supplements that he should start on. And then I told him, I was like, Hey, listen, you know, I don't know what your, um, opinions are regarding CrossFit, but I would like you to, I, I, I did the math. I, I literally did the work and, and found him uh, a very highly rated gym around him. And I essentially just encouraged him to, to, to go to the gym and give it a shot. So uh, he gave it a shot, immediately fell in love with it um, and uh, has, has been doing it since. And he has been putting on muscle at 46 years old um, since starting. So, you know, essentially to answer your question, I think that no, is it a, is it a, is it a one size fits all solution for everybody? Absolutely not. Instead, you know, as, as a doctor, um, uh, I would simply recommend that kind of, you have to ask the patient a probing question and then listen to their answer. And then depending on their answer, you can give them any number of, of different, uh, uh, solutions. All right. So, you know, wrapping up here, one thing, you know, say somebody's listened to this episode and, you know, they, they think maybe uh, CrossFit is for them. Right. And what I know the big part of CrossFit is like the community and the culture and that kind of stuff. So when you're looking for a CrossFit gym, or I guess you call it a box, right? What would be like, what are some things that you would look for when you're trying to pick a gym as far as culture and coaching and that kind of stuff to know that maybe it's the right fit for you? Um, so I think one of the best things you can, you can try to find when you're joining a new gym is, uh, is, is good coaching, right? So, um, uh, by that, okay. So there's a couple things in good coaching, right? There's obviously, um, um, compatibility. There needs to be compatibility between you and the coach. You can't obviously meet them the first time and automatically be off put by their demeanor or their attitude or their way of treating their members. So, you know, if you, if that cross, if you, if you can cross it off the list and you like the way that, you know, um, they, they treat you and they treat their members, then I would then encourage you to just kind of watch a class um uh and essentially see what type of what type of coaching the that coach gives gives the members because that should be you know whenever anybody says to me uh you know why is crossfit so expensive you know one of the things that i make sure that they're aware of is that there's coaching in there right as opposed to going to a um, a YMCA or going to a planet fitness or going to a BASA and doing movements that yourself that you're really not aware. Are you moving correctly? Are you moving in a way that's going to get you, um, optimal results for the time that you're putting in, you know, at CrossFit, you have somebody who's ideally watching you, correcting your technique, um, willing to, to, to give you advice if, if you want to hear it. Um, so, you know, that's definitely crucial from a, from the coaching standpoint, but the other thing that's definitely important that you just mentioned is community. Um, you know, most of the gyms that I've been a part of over the last 11 years have been very strong on the community, um, you know, uh, including but not limited to having parties for, for their members um, that are kind of member only parties that every party that I've been to like a CrossFit gym party has been pretty packed, you know, a lot of the members come out. Um, so, you know, I think 
the community aspect is, is very big. Um, one thing that I'll tell you, Michael, uh, just from what I've noticed is I've been now <clears throat> at two very competitive gyms um, in my 11 years of CrossFit. And one similarity I've noted, and I only have two data points here, so I don't know if it's enough. I mean, technically two is enough to establish a trend, but I don't know for sure if there's a definite pattern here, but it seems like with the more competitive gyms, there is less of the um, party kind of community aspect of it. Um, with the more competitive gyms, they're like, as you can imagine, they're competitive. They, they only want to get, all the members want to get good enough to compete at local competitions and they want to beat everybody at local competitions, right? So they're not over here like, oh, you know, what's going on Friday night, Saturday night, like, let's go out. And while I've definitely been to other gyms where, you know, there's a huge community aspect. Um, so, you know, I think that you, that's just something you kind of have to feel out and, and um, you know, uh, for example, if you want the community aspect, then go to go to the gym that you're thinking about and try to talk to some of the members. Um, having a conversation with two or three or four people should give you a good feeling um, for whether or not these people are approachable and friendly and and kind of, you know, whether or not they would be welcoming you and, and inviting you in. And if you don't feel that way, especially, especially as a newbie, if you don't feel that way, I personally would not join. So. Um, yeah, I think those are the two main the two main points. Other things obviously are like equipment, the size of the gym. I'm I'm one of these weirdos. I just love a big gym. I just love a very physically big gym, like almost like a warehouse type gym as opposed to like a super small gym. So, um yeah, I think those are the things that I would encourage somebody to look for when, you know, when they're starting, uh, because those are the things that are going to keep you in ultimately, right? Or good coaching, if you're if the community is present, and, and people are welcoming, and you can you can kind of form friendships and have people who you didn't know from Adam two weeks ago, you know, now encouraging you to come to the gym during the time that they're at the gym and you guys lift together and, you know, kind of forming a, a bond slowly, but surely those are the things that keep you kind of, that make this a sustainable lifestyle for you that keep you coming back over and over. And obviously you just keep doing the work uh, while, while you're coming back over and over and, and kind of getting to know people, you just keep doing the work. And then, you know, one year, two years, three years down the line, you look at yourself and you're like, hell, I am not the same person who I used to be. I look completely different. I think I, my mindset is completely different. Um, and you're probably already noticing that, Michael, but I think one of the biggest changes in CrossFit happens between the ears. Absolutely. I cannot sit here and tell you over the last 11 years, how many times I thought during a workout, murder me, murder me. <laughs> This is yeah. miserable. Why am I doing this? Like, I can't finish this. Like, oh, you know, um, I have to finish four rounds of this. I can't. I'm on round two and I have two more rounds. This is hell. I don't want to do this. Right. But then you look to your left and you look to your right. And that person who you developed a bond with, they're right there with you. They're doing it also. They're 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 suffering through it as well. And you guys finish it together. And now, Michael, after an innumerable amount times of that happening to me, you know, I can absolutely tell you that my mindset, um, I don't have the, the mindset of a quitter. I'm not going to quit a workout. It's going to suck, 
I'm going to get through it right in the middle of the workout. When I'm telling myself, this is the worst. I'm also telling myself, I'm going to get through it. I'm going to finish. I don't care how long it takes me. That's irrelevant. What matters is that I'm not going to give up and I'm going to finish. And I think that I can absolutely tell you for a fact that when I started, I did not have that mindset. And, and that's, that's a change. That's, that's one of the mental changes that, that happens with CrossFit. It doesn't only strengthen your body, it strengthens your mind. That's awesome, man. So before we get off here, make sure that uh, just let the listeners know where they can find you, social media, that type of stuff. Um, so I am, a, as I said earlier, I'm a doc for Steady MD. Um, so that is the the service that uh, that I mentioned earlier, where uh, there's really no follow, there's no copay that you need to pay. You basically pay one uh, low cost per month, and you can reach out as many times as you need to. And uh, obviously, I can treat any medical condition uh, that you have, um, uh, and and reach out to specialists if needed. So that's SteadyMD.com, and um, you can you can sign up for me on my uh, my social media. But really, my I have a Twitter and I have a Facebook book but really the only social media i dabble in is um is instagram and uh, my name there is um the the fittest doc um it's a inspirational username that uh um that i i uh came up with a couple of years ago I, I i essentially believe that you know i'll never really reach the point where um i don't want to become a fitter version of myself and a better version of myself. So I think that the, the name, the fittest doc is, is very, uh, uh, very apt. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I don't, um, I, I used to make many more posts, uh, before COVID and, um, I have a lot of patience now. So, uh, yeah, if you find me on social media, just keep in mind, uh, my account is not dead. I am, I'm still posting. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm, gonna start um i have a plan here to start posting video series um igtv series so um uh yeah to definitely reach out on on that end and if you have any specific questions about steadymd you can reach out to me on on instagram and ask me um any questions and if i need to direct you to any resources i i'll do so that's awesome man i can't wait to uh follow that ig series and see what you got to teach us yeah yeah i'm definitely excited <laughs> about it i used to i used to do a lot of stuff like that in the past uh michael not not videos but instead a long form text typing out captions and whatnot so um yeah you just got to change with the times with instagram right yeah all right man thanks again i i appreciate the interview i had a great time absolutely so did i like i said uh, I, I appreciate you giving me the time to get on here and talk with you yep Boom, folks. That's it. That is the end of the Hungry for Success podcast. Make sure you come back next week for an all new guest. And as always, stay hungry. We'll see you next week.